0: So if you have your Bibles, open it to Judges, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, the book of Judges. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would be greatly glorified in every heart and mind and life and family and ministry and calling tonight as your spirit mingles with your word and we pray that it would have a, an explosive effect of, in our hearts and minds of faith and passion for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story of a mouse who dreamt of having enough weight that it could walk across a bridge and make the bridge thunder. So the mouse would walk across the bridge and it would stand in the middle of the bridge and it would jump up and down and that bridge wouldn't shake not even a bit. So exasperated, the mouse goes and it sits under a tree and it pouts. And then finally the mouse sees an elephant meandering along. And the mouse asks the elephant, where are you going? And the elephant said, I'm going across the bridge. And the mouse says, do you mind if I walk alongside you? And the elephant says, no, that's fine. So the mouse and the elephant walk side by side. And as they cross the bridge, the bridge thunders. And the mouse looks up at the elephant and says, we sure can make some noise together, can't we? Now, Israel has a long, glorious history of thundering with the power of God. It's because they walked with But then Israel, like us so often, would begin veering and not walking with God any longer. And they would jump up and down, and there was no weight, there was no authority to anything about their nation, and as a result of that, a great uh, judgment and deliverance would come upon their nation. This is the cyclical pattern that we've talked about in the book of Judges. The book of Judges uh, takes place in a 350-year interim between the leadership of Moses and Joshua where they entered into the promised land and then later uh, the first uh, king of Israel, king, actually the leadership of Samuel, and then the leadership of the first king, King Saul and King David and King Solomon. So this interim time uh, between the time frame of, of Moses and Joshua and the kings, we have the interim time of the judges, and it's cyclical. God blessed Israel. He blessed them because they were walking with him. And so they experienced the thunder of the power of God, because they were walking with God, but then they became comfortable. And it was as a result of becoming comfortable and complacent, God's judgment would eventually come upon them, and they would find themselves in bondage. And then finally, when they were at bondage, in bondage they realized they'd forsaken their first love, they have drifted far from God, and they cried out to God again, He would raise up a deliverer, or... A judge thus it's called the book of judges it's not a judge like we think of today who sat behind a bench and wore a black robe it wasn't like that at all it's more of a general but it's more of kind of a rogue general uh, that he didn't have an official title he didn't have an official office he didn't have an official military nobody ever elected these judges they just um they just sort of uh, began separating from the pack with this distinct leadership about them and this weight, this authority. What it was, was the anointing, the Spirit of God rested upon them. And throughout the book of Judges, there's 12 to 14 or so judges throughout this 350-year interim that God would raise up to lead His people into deliverance. And so there would be a revival and they would worship God. It was so cyclical, it was such a pattern. And then they would begin... becoming complacent again and they would be in bondage again and so we pick up with judges chapter six the israelites did evil in the eyes of the lord you see this cyclical pattern that we're in over and over and over we see this pattern in the book of judges in fact the last sentence of the entire book of judges is really descriptive of this whole era it says that everybody did what was right in their own eyes everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king, there was no there was no authority. Uh, there were no unilateral decisions. I mean, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There were no boundaries. If they wanted to be sexually pure, they were sexually pure. If they wanted to be sexually immoral, they were sexually immoral. If they wanted to worship Baal, they worship Baal. If they wanted to worship God, they worship God. If they wanted to respect somebody, they respected them. If they didn't, they didn't. If they wanted to go to church, they went to church. If they wanted to live for God, they did. If they didn't, they didn't. If they wanted to take something, they took it. If they thought they could get away with it, everybody did whatever they felt like doing. They were driven by the whims of their flesh and we can't function like that Long before we find ourselves in bondage. We can't function like that long before the blessings of God escape our hands. Have you ever tried to hold water in your hands? Well, that's what it's like when we we simply live life without boundaries. We do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. The blessings of God eventually become like water in our hands. It slips through our hands. And this is a cyclical pattern of Judges. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It's because they lived without any boundaries. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And whenever we live life without boundaries, God is so gracious, isn't he? He's so compassionate. He's so merciful. He's so faithful to us. He's slow to anger. He can get there. But he's abounding in love and mercy and slow to anger. But he can get there. And when he does get there, he's driven by love because he's protecting his and he's protecting his relationship with us. And so we may or may not believe in the law of gravity. But if you jump off of this building, it won't be but a matter of time before we realize its consequences. It doesn't matter if we didn't believe in the law of gravity or not, we will realize its consequences if we jump off of this building. And in the same way, there's a law, there's a pattern. If we do whatever we want to do, if we don't mind boundaries, and if we live however we want, if we are driven by the whims of our flesh, although God is gracious and slow to anger, and His mercy and His kindness so often leads us to repentance, but if we continue to function that way, we'll realize this cyclical law of god's discipline and so back to galatians or judges chapter 6 the israelites did evil in the eyes of the lord and for seven years he gave them in the hands of the midianites it was their enemies they were just oppressed by them because the power of midian was so oppressive the israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and Malachites and other eastern peoples, there's an entire alliance, an entire alliance of, of, of countries against Israel. No, no different than today. Today there's a sliver of land where the Jews are and they're surrounded in this Palestinian era area by, uh, by a, a world that would rather than be eradicated and wiped off the face of the earth. No different. There's an alliance of nations that abhor Israel and Israel they would plant in this in this era of Judges chapter 6 they would plant their crops the crops would grow I mean and as soon as the crops would grow here come the Midianites the Amalekites and everybody from the eastern regions they would come in they would plunder everything and they wouldn't even leave Israel a crumb not even a crumb that's how oppressed they were this is a rural area. This is an agricultural area. As soon as they grow a crop, corn, whatever it is, wheat, as soon as they grow it, the countries come and they swipe it away. And Israel is starving to death. It was a very frustrating, very oppressive season. Watch this. They cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord. And this is so incredible, because the Bible says a just man falls seven times, and seven times rises again. And they had once again uh, gotten away from God and began walking away from God, and so they had no weight. there was no authority about them, and they found themselves in a place of bondage again, and they didn't give in to the lie that God wouldn't want to hear from me. If I pray to God, he'll ignore me. I've already asked God to forgive me one too many times. I couldn't ask him to forgive me again. They didn't buy into this lie. Instead, they cried out to the Lord, and as a result, the Lord descended to deliver. So, let's pick up with verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and by the way, any time you see the angel of the Lord in scripture, it's usually a reference to Jesus Christ. Did you know that Jesus often appears in the Old Testament? It's, a, it's, it's, it's called a, a Christophany. And there's an entire study you can do where you, where you can study appearances by Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. And he says, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Now this is such a contrast. Because you want to know what Gideon is doing? He's threshing wheat. Now, there's nothing wrong with threshing wheat. But where is he threshing wheat? When you thresh wheat, uh, what they did was they would go up on a hill or a mountain where there would be a breeze or hopefully a wind. And you would thresh wheat and the wind would separate. The chaff is lighter than the wheat. And so the chaff, you didn't want the wheat you wanted. And so the wind would carry the chaff away and you'd be left with the wheat. So when you thresh wheat, you do it where there's wind. But where is Gideon? He's threshing wheat in the wine cellar in a cave where he has to separate the the chaff from the wheat by hand. It is so laborious. Why is he doing that? He's doing that because he's living in fear. Why is he afraid? Because because if the Amalekites and the Midianites and the, the countries from the eastern region realize that he just has a little bit of wheat, it's going to be taken from him. So he's hiding. They're oppressed. And then Jesus Christ in the Old Testament appears before Gideon and he says, The Lord is with you, another translation, arise, you mighty man of war. And the contrast is laughable. Arise, you mighty man of war. I mean, he's hiding in fear. And you can see as as the story of Gideon and God relating with Gideon is unpacked, you can see that Gideon really struggled with fear a lot. And Gideon didn't see himself the way that God saw him. And this is the first characteristic of the person that God uses. We're about to look at three characteristics of the person that God greatly uses for his glory. Three characteristics. Three characteristics of the person that God uses for his glory. And if you latch on to these three characteristics this evening, I promise you, you will not be the same when you leave. Tonight will be a very uh, momentous, it will be a very pivotal night for you. Tonight can be your Moses at the burning bush. Tonight can be uh, the angel of the Lord appearing before Gideon for you. Tonight can be uh, Samuel anointing David to be the next king of Israel. Tonight can be Jesus looking at the disciples on the beach who were fishing with their father and say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Tonight could be very decisive for you. It could be very pivotal pivotal it could be very catalytic for you it could be very transformative to you you will never be the same if you can catch on to these three characteristics that we glean from the life of gideon the first characteristic that we glean from the life of gideon is this this is the person that god wants to use powerfully for his glory It will make people just worship Christ. What is the big deal about people worshiping Christ? Well, When they're worshiping Christ, they're not living for the Lord. When they're worshiping Christ, they're not in bondage. When they're worshiping Christ, they're they're, they're not in love with the lusts of the world. When they're worshiping Christ, they're they're in love with the one who gave his life for them. When When they're worshiping Christ and bringing Christ glory and living for Christ and living in community with Christ, when Jesus Christ is glorified in our life, people around us are liberated. They walk in freedom. And when God uses us in such a capacity that Jesus Christ receives glory in our life and the people around us walk in freedom, you realize that it is pure delight to your soul. Do you remember when Jesus was functioning in his calling? He he never left his calling, but when he was functioning in his calling and he led the the Samaritan woman to faith in himself as the Messiah, later the disciples came to him, he hadn't eaten all day, and they said, here's lunch, we brought you food. And he said, I have, I have food to eat that you know not of. What was the food to eat? He was functioning in his calling. When you function in your calling, when you fulfill your purpose, it's like your fulfillment gauge goes from one or two to ten, on a scale of one to ten. I had a dog who was a Border Collie. This dog would just lay around on the back porch and look like it was going to die of depression and boredom until I went into the backyard with, guess what? A frisbee. And they are bred to be frisbee dogs. Champion frisbee dogs are usually border collies. They're, they're, they're also bred to to herd. So when there's a bunch of kids back there, they'll kind of try to corral them. And when they're either corralling kids or going after a frisbee, uh, his name was Apollo. Apollo's fulfillment gauge went from one or two to ten. He was fully alive. When you're functioning in your calling, your fulfillment gauge goes from one or two to ten. Hey, life is short. Let's make it count for eternity, for Christ's glory. Let's bring souls with us. Let's let's allow other people to walk in freedom because Jesus is glorified in our lives. But since we only have one life to live, let's make it count. Let's live in our calling. Let's Let's find fulfillment in Christ, not in that cheap blue light special that the world has to offer that, that promises everything and offers absolutely nothing but emptiness. You are never too old to begin living in your calling. Abraham was 75. Moses was 80. Noah was 500 when they said yes to their calling. You are never too young to begin functioning in your calling. King Josiah was eight years old. David was 17. He wouldn't become king until 30, but he said yes when he was 17. And he began living like a king when he was 17. And if he didn't do that, he would have never become king when he was 30. The same thing for Joseph. He said yes to his calling when he was 17. It didn't come into fruition for 13 years later until he was about 30. But if he never said yes when he was 17, it never would have come into fruition, not even when he was 30. You're never too old, you're never too young to begin functioning in your calling. I'm grateful I have to, I have to hold Cassidy up as an example. Uh, you guys might not realize this, but she's 19 years of age and she is functioning in her calling. And leading a congregation of adults in worship to Christ because she's passionate about Jesus. You are never too old. You are never too young to say yes to Jesus and begin giving him glory and hope to the world and functioning in your calling. But there's three characteristics that God needs out of you. There's three characteristics that he needs out of you. And if you get this, then this will be a catalytic. This will be a transformative night for you. There's three characteristics. The first characteristic of the person that God is looking for is this. God is looking for somebody is sub common it's counterintuitive isn't it God is looking for somebody who is sub common like, well, what do you mean by that well here's common right so below common um, and it's counterintuitive because we think that God is looking for somebody above average right God is looking for somebody who's maybe a little bit sharper, who maybe has a leadership countenance, a leadership stature, maybe somebody who's affluent, maybe somebody who's extraordinarily highly educated or extraordinarily highly eloquent or extraordinarily highly gifted. No, that actually repulses God when we rely on that stuff. That's why the Bible says not many noble people are chosen among you. Not many noble people are chosen by God. Some are, some are, but not many. Because God chooses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God is looking for somebody who subcommon. So if you might have strutted in here thinking, it's about time God starts using me because I got a lot to bring to the table. God's just looking right over you. If you crawled in here this evening and you thought, there's no way in the world that God could use me unless his grace and forgiveness and mercy and unfailing love were truly unconditional. And if that's your only hope, Well, then God can use you. Why do you think God came to Gideon? Look at how we found Gideon. God came to Gideon because he was subcommon. Gideon knew it. Jesus stood before him and said, arise, mighty man of valor, who's threshing wheat, hiding in a cave. And Gideon says, you've got the wrong person. Verse 15. He says, how, how, can, how can you call me a mighty man of valor? He says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. In other words, I'm subcommon. He looked at his past, my my clan, my heritage, my lineage. The United States has 50 states. Israel wasn't arranged like that. They were arranged familial. They were a family nation. So they are arranged in tribes. Maybe you've heard of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had a son, Jacob. Uh, Jacob had... 12 sons these are the 12 tribes of Israel each of these sons had 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 many sons and daughters and they had sons and daughters and so and so these families would trace their their lineage back to the 12 tribes of Israel and and Gideon says my my tribe is the least of all and there's nothing I can do to change that I mean you should really Lord you should go to somebody from the tribe of Judah because they're strong and they're very reputable and and they have a lot of prestige but uh, I'm I'm from the weakest tribe I'm nothing. I, I look at my past. I look at my history, and I have nothing to bring to the table. But not only that, uh, I, I'm, I'm the weakest. My family is the weakest in my tribe, <laughs> and I'm the weakest in my family. He looked at his past, and he said, I, I'm disqualified. And, and he looked at his track record. He said, I'm disqualified. He looked at his circumstances. He, he said, I'm disqualified. But know this. In fact, I'm going to come down here and say it so that it will really be emphasized because this morning I said this like five times before I felt like everybody heard it. And I was prepared. I told them I was, I'm prepared to say this ten more times. So I'm going to come down here. So I'll maybe only say this once. But when you look into your past, the only event that God wants you to define your confidence and your conscience and your calling, the only event in our past that should define our conscience and our calling is the cross of Christ in the empty tomb, shouting that we are unconditionally loved, accepted, forgiven, and the very righteousness of God. I'm just going to say it again. I felt like that connected, but I'm going to say it again. When you look at your past, the only event that is to define us when we look over to our shoulders in our past the only event that is to define us not a divorce not a loss not a failure not a not a graduation not not a not a promotion not a house when we look in our past the only event that is to define us is the cross of Christ and the empty in de- the empty tomb declaring that we are unconditionally loved accepted and forgiven and the very righteousness of God. And if we strut in thinking God really ought to use me by now because of something in our past, God looks over us. But if we crawl in and we and we say, "My only hope is the cross of Christ and the empty tomb declaring I am unconditionally loved, accepted and forgiven and the very righteousness of God," then God can use us. That's why God is looking for people who will have just confidence in Christ. No self-confidence, but only confidence in Christ. You know why why I have the audacity to dream big these days? Now, (laughs) dreaming big is an an exercise in perseverance. (laughs) And the only reason I today have the audacity to dream big It's because of the unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus Christ through the cross and the empty tomb that declares I am the righteousness of God. That's it. And the more I experience a setback, failure, or disappointment, then the more I rely exclusively on the cross of Christ and empty tomb. And the the less I rely upon myself, and the more God can use me. As we're going to see uh, a little bit later, what happens is that I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but we're going to see an army does surround Gideon. 32,000 people surround Gideon to fight with him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and it was like a magnet drawing people. 32,000 people. They were going up against about 135,000 people. As you read the next two or three chapters, you do the math. They were going up against 135,000 men. Plus their camels, which was in that day and age, basically state of the art military camels that were innumerable. And God looked at Gideon and said, You have 32,000 men to fight, 135,000. And he said, This is what the angel of the Lord said. He said, If you fight them and if you're victorious, you'll think it's because of these 32,000 people, because that's a big army. Even though you're going up against 135, that's still a big army. And you'll take credit for it. You will yourselves take credit for it. He said, so I want you to stand before your army and say, if anybody is afraid, go home. Guess how many people went home? 22,000 people. So he's left with an army of 10,000 people. Well, 10,000 people. Now going up against 135,000 people, God said, you're still too strong. He said, so vet people like this. Tell them to go drink out of the water. And those who just, you know, look down and just kind of lap up, not being alert, as opposed to those who who, who drink uh, very alert, vet them like that. And only keep those who drank alert. Now the army is whittled down to 300 people. And now God says to Gideon, okay, now you're ready to go fight. Isn't that so counterintuitive? That's like the great missionary to, Hudson, uh, to, to, to China, the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. When asked for the secret of his effectiveness in ministry, he said, God looked the whole world over for a man who was weak enough to do his work. And when he came to me, he said, Ah, I have found a man weak enough to do my will. Are you weak enough to do God's will yet? Are you so weak that your only hope is the power of Christ, the grace and the forgiveness and the unfailing love of God? If you're there, then God can use you. God's looking for the subcommon. As the Apostle Paul said, I I had this thorn in my flesh. I prayed three times for God to remove it. We don't know what it was. There's speculation. We won't go into that. But a, a messenger of Satan buffeted the Apostle Paul with a thorn in the flesh. And then God said, no, I'm going to let you keep that because my grace is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul said, so then I will boast all the more in my weakness. Why? Because it's through that weakness that the Apostle Paul had to rely more exclusively on God. And that's where we experience the power of God. So I'm encouraged by this. I'm encouraged because I look at my past, I look in the mirror, I look at my fears in the future, and reality is I'm subcommon. But I'm also encouraged by this because God only uses the subcommon. Because I'm not going to place confidence in myself, my past, what I see in the mirror, or what I see in my future. I'm only going to place confidence in Christ. And that means that the more this world purges me of self-confidence, the more confidence I place in Christ, therefore, the bigger I am dreaming these days, and the bigger I am praying these days, and the more I'm expecting from God these days. I pray that sinks in. The second characteristic that God is looking for, he's looking for somebody who is clean, He's looking for somebody who's common. Heck, even sub-common. Secondly, God is looking for somebody who is clean. He wants to use clean vessels. Clean vessels. Holy and pure. You want to know what the angel of the Lord's first assignment to Gideon was? Okay, you're pressed there's the Midianites, the Amalekites, all the, 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 the allied nations of this eastern uh, territory. Here's your first responsibility, not to assemble an army, not to go into battle. This is your number one responsibility. In your dad's backyard, you know about it, there's a statue. It's, a, it's an idol that's been built to worship a false pagan god named Baal. And this is basically the ancient equivalent of, of pornography, as archaeologists uncover today statues that were constructed in order to worship Baal. They're created in sexually perverted manner. I will, manners. I won't go into it, but it's, it's very sexually graphic. And he said, I want you to take two oxen, and with one oxen, I want you to tie a rope around that statue, attach it to the oxen, and then tear down that statue and then just shatter it. And the other oxen, I want you to slaughter and sacrifice it to me and start worshiping me again. Gideon, again, he's struggling with fear, so he did it at night. But before God was going to greatly use Gideon, he said, Gideon, I want you to be clean before me. I want you to live clean before me. I want you to live righteously before me. So, do you have any idols in your life that needs to be struck down? Say, so, well, I don't have an idol of Bell in my backyard. What do you have in your backyard? An idol is anything that we love more than God. An idol is anything that we trust more than God. An idol is, is, is anything that we give allegiance to more than God. An idol can be something, it can be an addiction that is so destructive to your life. An idol can be sexual immorality, as it was in this case. An idol can be a good blessing that God gave you. It can be something very immoral. An idol can also be something very honorable. It can be a good thing that God gave you. It can be the blessings that God gave you and you took the blessing and you made that your God instead of the God who gave you the blessing. And I think that that American Christianity is... Um, really struggles with this i believe this is the the achilles heel for american christianity god blesses us so much and we take the blessings and we put the blessings before god god is merciful and he's kind and he's gracious but he's jealous what is he jealous of he's jealous of his relationship with you well i thought first corinthians 13 said that love is not jealous love isn't jealous but i thought the bible says god is jealous god is jealous well here here's the difference first corinthians 13 says love is not jealous that means it does not envy if rick gets a promotion i'm not jealous about it i don't envy it i, I rejoice in that if, if 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 patrick you know he he, he gets he gets a, a a great job or 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 he he uh, you know he, he moves into his awesome house then i don't, i'm not jealous of that how can you how can you envy if you love somebody you want you want the best of for them but There is a healthy jealousy. There is a healthy jealousy when you defend those relationships that God has given you to protect. So God is not jealous in that he would envy us. He wants the best for us. But he is jealous for our relationship with him. And he'll fight for our relationship with him. And he won't let anything stay in between us and him for long. He'll give us... Incredible leadway and incredible patience, and his kindness will constantly work to lead us to repentance. But if we continue to be stubborn, then he'll turn up the heat a little bit because he's a jealous God and he wants to preserve the relationship with us because he knows it's the best for us, it's the best for our joy. And he longs for this relationship with us as well. God wants clean vessels. We read in the New Testament that there's, there's, there's some pottery that's made for noble purposes, some for in noble purposes. You see that in your kitchen. You have company come over, and some company, well, you, you bring out the fine china. But if the company's not there, well, then what do you use? You use paper plates, and you put the pizza on it. So if God wants to use one of his children for noble purposes, he doesn't go to the, to the, to the plates that, that, that are, have dried pizza crust on it. He goes to the China cabinet. And in the same way, when God wants to use somebody greatly for his glory, to encourage people, to set people free, then he goes to the clean children. Those who have cast down idols in their lives, those who have cleaned their hearts and minds, those who have repented of their sins. Is there an idol in your life? Is there an idol? It might be something immoral, and you know what it is. It might be a good, great blessing, a great gift from God, but you've put it before God. Cast it down until you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and nothing comes between you and God because he's a jealous God because he loves us so much. So the first characteristic of the person that God uses is God uses common. Even thank the Lord subcommon who dare to trust in his unfailing love. Secondly, God uses common vessels. Secondly, God uses clean vessels. And this is what's really awesome is look in uh, uh, Judges chapter 6 and look at verse 34. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. I mean like the Holy Spirit crashed into his heart, just crashed into his heart. Like a torrent, like a flood. In some translations, as this one, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Other translations say that the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. I like that. Now, some commentators will go so far as to say, and the Spirit of the Lord clothed himself with Gideon and I really like that that has a connotation that it's not Gideon who's living any longer but the spirit of the Lord living through Gideon that's what the apostle Paul said it is no longer I who live but it is Christ who lives in me and through me but notice that the spirit of the Lord didn't crash into Gideon's heart and mind notice the spirit of the Lord didn't come upon Gideon until Gideon tore down the idols in his life did you see that the Spirit of the Lord didn't crash into Gideon until Gideon tore down the idols in his life. This isn't about salvation. We trust in Christ. And the moment we trust in Christ, we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Upon hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The moment you believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The moment you believe. And at that moment, you have all of the Holy Spirit you will ever have. But the Holy Spirit on a day-to-day basis may not have all of you. There was an evangelistic crusade in London, and these pastors got together, and they were going to bring Dale Moody in to share the gospel. And it was London, and so these are educated, highly educated uh, pastors who spoke English, I mean, so eloquently. And one of the pastors says, Dale Moody, because Dale Moody was known for butchering the English language. Dale Moody, do we have to bring in Dale Moody? And he said, does Dale Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And to that, one of the other pastors said, no. Dale Moody doesn't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Dale Moody. So... You know, the charismatic churches, the Pentecostal churches, the Church of Christ, uh, Hope Works, your Baptist churches, your Bible churches, no church, no denomination has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. So who does God move among? Wherever the Holy Spirit can find a monopoly upon a person. Wherever the Holy Spirit can find a monopoly upon a people. That's where the Holy Spirit will move. Do you want God to use you? i want god to use me i want god to use you and even more than that i want god to use us together but he will only do that if he finds a monopoly in our lives that means that he has control of everything so the person god uses first subcommon i'm here god that's me a clean vessel god that's me because tonight i'm going to cast down the idols in my life thirdly a consumed person consumed by the holy spirit of jesus christ how are you spirit filled it's it's important that we don't complicate theology of the holy spirit so that we don't dilute its practice in our daily life jesus intentionally kept it simple so that we could apply it tonight how are we spirit filled how are we consumed by the holy spirit how does the holy spirit have a monopoly in our life I think what's absolutely incredible is that when the Holy Spirit crashed into Gideon's heart, came upon Gideon, clothed Gideon, or clothed himself with Gideon, everything changed after that. Oh, the the 135,000 people? No problem. 32,000 people came around uh, Gideon, and God whittled that down to 300 so that he could get the glory. It was a really awesome battle and that indicates what you and i need more than anything else listen to this what you and i need more than anything else is not a little more money on our paycheck what we need more than anything else is not another house What we need more than anything else is not another job. What we need more than anything else is not uh, to to, to sort out confusion in relationships. What we need more than anything else is, is not to eradicate perhaps chaos in our home life or relationships. Let me tell you what you need more than anything else. All that stuff is nothing. That's nothing. What you need more than anything else is to be consumed by the Holy Spirit. That's it. And when you're consumed by the Holy Spirit, everything else will fall into place. Israel had incredible troubles. And if we just gave this talk, they would say that sounds very spiritual, but we need something very practical. No. They needed somebody to be consumed by the Holy Spirit because the moment the Holy Spirit consumed Gideon, then the Holy Spirit began living through Gideon and Gideon's instincts were totally transformed. He was not this fearful guy hiding in the wine cellar. He blew a trumpet, assembled an army. He was a general man a general of generals a general that that stands out throughout the corridors of all of history but what he needed what everybody around him needed was for him to be consumed by the holy spirit what you need more than anything else let me repeat this is to be consumed by the holy spirit have you ever seen a riverbed that was so dry that the ground was crackled It was all cracked because it was so dry. It was maybe a drought, the heat of the summer. It was so cracked. And to make matters worse, this riverbed was littered with trash. There's a couple ways to go about that. If you want to clean it up, then you could start walking through the riverbed and picking out the pieces of trash one by one. Getting uh, buckets of water, throwing it into the riverbed. There's another way you could go about it. You could open up the floodgates and let a torrent of water crash into the riverbanks and flood the riverbanks. And if that happens, then it will in one swoop wash away all of the litter and in so doing simultaneously quench the dry riverbeds. Again, What we need more than anything else is not just to pick the trash out of our life one by one or to eradicate the fear, the confusion, the chaos, or solve the problems one by one. What we need more than anything else is to be consumed by the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit floods our soul, washes away all the junk. When you get touched by God, when you get consumed by the Holy Spirit, He washes away all of the junk and He quenches your thirsty heart so that... As the hymn says, the things of this world grow strangely dim in light of your glory and grace. It's like you don't even desire the world anymore. When you get consumed by the Holy Spirit, I'm not saying we don't need self-discipline. Self-discipline is the ninth fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5.22. But what I am saying is that when you get a touch from God and the Holy Spirit consumes your heart, you don't even need self-discipline to walk in righteousness because you don't even desire unrighteousness anymore. You just hunger and thirst for God. We should always be alert, and when we take, think we stand, take heed lest we fall, we should always be alert, we should always be on guard against temptation, but when you get a touch from God, and the Holy Spirit consumes you, He so quenches your heart that He gives you the gift, and it is a gift, He gives you the gift of so hungering and thirsting for Him that seeking His face doesn't even require discipline, and staying away from the blue light cheap specials that promise everything and give nothing but dirt and pain from the world. Staying away from that doesn't even take discipline because you so desire God. Because you've tasted, as the scriptures say, you've tasted and you can see that the Lord is good. And you're consumed by the Holy Spirit. And he works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure and all of your instincts have momentum to them. And, 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 and things come into order around you. And things begin sorting themselves out around you. Again, what you need more than anything else is to be consumed by the Holy Spirit. So, it doesn't matter if you're 75 or 15. You can say yes to Christ tonight and walk in the calling that has been established for you before the beginning of time. You can say yes to Jesus Christ by placing no confidence in your flesh and placing confidence in Christ and saying, yes, I am available. God looks for the subcommon. You want to know what that means? God doesn't look for our ability. He just looks for somebody who's available. And God will take our availability and make us able for him. God doesn't look for extraordinarily uh, gifted people. He looks for painfully ordinary people. And when they trust exclusively in him, he makes them extraordinary for his glory and to walk in their calling. Second characteristic are people who will cast down the idols in their life. Will you cast down your idols? Third characteristic. Somebody who will be consumed by the Holy Spirit. How are you consumed by the Holy Spirit? First thing is to turn from your sins. Confess it. Repent it. you got to pull down the idols. Confess your sin. Second, Second way to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to ask. That's it. Ask. It's that simple. Ask. You should start every day like this. Confess sin. Cast down idols. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God said, Jesus said that... If you give good gifts to your children, how much more so will your heavenly father, who is infinitely good, better than you, give good, how much more so will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we cast down idols, one. Second, we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, and here's where the ride gets really exciting. You just simply begin behaving as if you are spirit-filled. That's it. We believe that we're spirit filled and begin behaving that we are like we are spirit filled. Did you see the contrast in Gideon? Who am I? I'm nothing. I'm all this and all this. And oh, go, go find somebody more qualified. The spirit came upon him and he's blowing a trumpet, assembling an army, whittling them down from thirty-two thousand to three hundred, so God will get more glory out of the battle. He simply be- began behaving as if he were spirit filled. He began behaving as if he were God's man. And my desire for you is this evening for you to come down and say, God, I'm available. Use me for your glory. Use me to set people free. Use me, God. And I'm going to cast down sin. I confess my sin to you. But not only that, I ask to be filled with your Holy Spirit. And I'm going to leave here and behave as if I'm spirit-filled. But what does it mean to behave as if you're spirit-filled? Well, it means that the Holy Spirit comes upon you. More specifically, it means that the Holy Spirit clothes you more specifically it means that the holy spirit clothes himself with you so that when you leave this place it's not you who lives but the holy spirit living through you and everywhere you go you are Christ's ambassador and you pray for people who are hurting you encourage somebody who's downcast you lift them it's time you stop being a victim and it's time you begin living as the victor that you are in Christ. It is, it is past time. It is, it is time that you live here. leave here and you're not the person with the weight of the world on your shoulders. It's time that you leave here with uh, the divine authority to remove the weight from people's sho- shoulders. It's time here that you leave a minister. Because the Holy Spirit comes upon you, clothes you, or better yet, clothes himself with you and you surrender to him would you stand with me so september 11th we are going to put this into practice and i uh i it's really important to me guys that we don't play church it's really important to me that we are the church and again the church is something we are to jesus as we honor him and worship him and walk with him and the church is something that we are to one another As we encourage one another, and how can you be the church to one another, by the way, if you slip in, slip out, and you don't hug, encourage one another? How can you be the church to one another if you don't go to home group or if you don't go to deeper? And home groups are starting up in a few weeks, so nobody's been going to a home group, but it's about time we all go to home groups as they start up or go to deeper. How how, how can you be the church to one another if you don't find a ministry around here to begin serving it? And how can we be the church to a lost and dying world if we don't go out there and share Christ with them? now we can't be the church on our own it's it's a it's, it's the holy spirit who comes upon us who clothes us or better yet who clothes himself with us who lives through us and we behave to christ and one another and the lost world so it's really important to me that we just don't go to church or we just don't play church but we are the church and so I, i'm asking you to fast with me as we've recently done We recently just came off of a 10-day fast about a month ago. But how many of you can attest it was awesome for your walk with God? How many would just attest to that? Yes. Wasn't it? Uh, Is there something about fasting, subduing the flesh and seeking God that, uh, man, it invigorates our walk with God. It's like I don't recommend steroids when you exercise. But fasting and praying is kind of like a steroid for our spiritual walk literally it is and so um but th- but it's legal you don't get in trouble for it and god tells us to do it so we're, we're gonna fast and pray again 10 days and um you know fast from food or fast from social media oh at lunch today i ran into uh, a couple of, they they sit up in the in the balcony it's really awesome they said um they said hey it's awesome we're gonna fast again he said you know the first fast i fasted from uh, which was just last month he said i fasted from social media and he said, and I haven't gotten back on it since. Isn't that awesome? So he's going to have to find something else to fast from in this next fast. But I, I, I just shared this just to give you an example or kind of uh, help you brainstorm. I'm going to fast uh, probably, a, I'll, I, I expect I'll do a fruit and vegetable fast again. And probably three days or so in there uh, i won't have food but i'll be drinking a lot of water and and i personally feel that, that coffee beans are vegetables so i will incorporate those into my fast but but you guys y'all fast and pray and and go about it however you want um you know social media fast from tv fast from hey fast from cigarettes that's awesome but the key is not just to go without is to go without in order to go with god right it's not just an exercise in self-discipline. It's going without so that instead we pray. So that when you're fasting and you see a bag of potato chips and it looks like a buffet, you don't just like discipline yourself, you pray. And with each hunger pain, you pray. You think, man, i like to watch fast News, or Fox News, but you're fasting from TV. So you pray and you pray. And you know, about three days into the fast, you're going to break through. And it's going to be like man, I feel like I'm finally walking with God. I feel like I'm finally connecting with the Lord again. About four days into it, the same thing. And at the end of the 10 days, it's going to be like, man, I hate to go back to eating normal again. I really do. I really do. There's something special about fasting. And so I'm asking that you pray for our church family. I'm I'm excited about so many things in our church. I'm excited about HopeWorks Christian Academy that starts Thursday, and we prayed over the teachers this morning i'm excited about our children's ministry we had a children's ministry team um uh, meeting yesterday it was awesome the most amazing team uh i am excited about i'm excited about our youth we had the parents and youth of parents over at my house for a cookout the other night we had a blast and i'm excited about wednesday night i'm excited about the kids who are going to come to christ the fellowship that will be developed amongst that youth um i'm excited about many things but I'm really excited about you fasting. We're going to start September 1st, and we're going to fast for 10 days. And in the midst of your fasting, I'm so excited about the freedom that you're going to begin functioning in. I'm excited about you connecting with the Lord. Man, guys, you know, churches are characterized. Like, churches have thumbprints. Like, I can, I can, I, I, I can meet a perfect stranger. This is true. Michelle can attest to this. I can meet... I, I, we're not strangers, but I know she's from Texas, and I said, oh, I can tell you what part of Texas you're from, and I told her to say a sentence, it was a Pledge of Allegiance, and about three seconds into it, I said, you're from Lubbock, and she said, yes, I know Texans by their accents, I can, I can distinguish Texan accents, and in the same way, I can just sit down with somebody who's a Christian who goes to church regularly, after just a few minutes, I can probably guess what church they go to, if I know that church, I can probably guess it by their demeanor their personality their disposition their humility their pride their joy their passion for what and or lack thereof all those things whatever it might be but but if people find a common thread amongst the saints at hope works i pray i pray that it's a passion for jesus and i pray that it's a passion for the church the local church and I pray that it's a passion for lost people. I pray that. I pray that. And so I'm really excited about you fasting for these 10 days, because you might lose a little passion for the world, the things that's wood, hay, and stubble that's not going to last in eternity. You may lose some passion for the world, but you'll gain some passion for Jesus. You will gain some passion for the local church, a body of believers that... you walk through life with, and you'll gain some passion for a lost and dying world. And so I like to put feet to our our, 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 our application. We're going to fast and pray beginning September 1st to September 10th, and on September 11th, we will all assemble on Sunday morning at 10.30 or Sunday evening at 6 p.m., we will all assemble with friends who need Christ or who need encouragement or who need a touch from the Lord. So, Our action step is to fast and pray and go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. And I I, I just, Sunday night, I mean, there's going to be a whole row of people right here at the 6 p.m. service, and they need Christ so much, and maybe they have a grandma that's been praying for them, and there's going to be somebody that's going to be sitting right there, and perhaps he was contemplating suicide because he didn't think there was anything left to live for, and there's going to be somebody sitting right back at the back who maybe have heard the gospel and is is registered in their mind but it's never sunk into their heart well it's finally going to sink into their heart and we can go on and on and on and it's because you go into the highways and byways and you compel them to come in and there's great authority when we fast and we pray please pray for september 11th please pray for your friends but not only that please please pray for the boldness to reach out to them so we have cards up here and i just want to invite you to come down and kneel and say god use me Use me to fulfill my calling. You're calling for me. Use me. And then confess sin. And then say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And then get some cards. And then leave and behave as if you're anointed.